1: You may not see why these things are happening. No pastor can tell you at what angle this is coming from. But you have an infinite father who's in your corner and he's pulling for you. He's watching you. He wants you to endure and persevere and trust that just because you can't see everything doesn't mean that he's not in total control of everything. Today. Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Vines.
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and today Pastor Jeff is finishing his series from the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, a follower of Jesus, spoke passionately before the high priests when he was arrested and falsely accused. He was chased out of town and stoned to death. These events had a profound impact on one man in particular, Saul, who would later become Paul. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff and the rest of this message from Acts chapter 7.
1: So let's review. The law has been fulfilled by Christ. The temple has been restored because Jesus is the temple, because he is the sacrifice that gives you the right to enter into the presence of God. Hebrews 4 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now let's keep going. This is where it gets good. In Acts 7 verse 57, we're told, and Luke is very careful to mention the name of someone who was present during the stoning of Stephen. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. That's Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, who is Saul? Saul is going to become Paul. Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, who was a rigorous law keeper, who was very well educated, who was the foremost persecutor of Christians in Stephen's day, who was standing there watching Stephen die and giving approval. Now that begs the question, man, why doesn't God keep Stephen alive? He's a great preacher. He could preach more good sermons. God's not very wise here. Something happened. In the words of Stephen that turned Paul's world upside down. Now at first it made Saul mad, didn't it? Because what did Paul say? What did Saul say? Let's kill him. Now why? Because Saul's cornerstone had been broken. The thing he had built his life on was if I keep the law, go to the temple and offer sacrifices, then I have assurance with God. The problem is Paul still wasn't happy because he didn't feel assured. It's hard to feel assured when it's based on you. Because you know who you are. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, surely that's not you. You don't know who I am. You have no idea who I am. You know a little bit about me, but you don't know who I am. You're not with me 24 hours a day, and I'm not with you 24 hours a day. And I can tell you probably if you followed me around everywhere for 24 hours, you probably wouldn't listen to me. But that's okay, because if I followed you around every 24 hours, I probably wouldn't talk to you. (laughs) So we're sinners, aren't we? Saved by grace. Paul heard the words of Stephen and he was angry because he was angry at this young punk who had such confidence that he was saved and he knew that he was good with God, that he could stand up and preach the way that he did. Saul says, let's kill him. But even the death of Stephen that Saul stood there, watched and affirmed, even though Stephen died, his words that made its way into Paul's heart never died. Paul kept thinking about them over and over. But if you think it's only the, listen now, if you think it's only the words of Stephen that caused the transformation in the heart of Saul, who would become Paul, who would change the world, no, it's the way Stephen died. (laughs) Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul would have never seen anybody die like that. Father, forgive them. I mean, they're stoning this young man. His life is, Father, forgive them. There's only one other occasion we hear of that. Who's that? Jesus. Father, forgive them. And Paul looks at this and says, forgive them. And suddenly something happened where Paul's heart is torn. Even though his cornerstone has been cracked, his heart is stirred. Maybe he starts to think for the first time that love is greater than the law. Here's a young man who is so sure of his Lord and acceptance that if his Lord requires his life for a greater good, he's willing to give it. Okay, Jeff, I got it. But what does that all have to do with my pain? You don't know what I'm going through. You say, Pastor Jeff, I know the gospel. I didn't need you to recite that again. I know the the, the gospel of grace. I know it's about grace. And I know the righteous one. And my question to you would be, do you really? Because if you do, it will change the way you suffer. You say, well, hold on a minute, what, if I knew that my suffering and death would change the world like Stephen's death, well of course I'd be able to do it. Wait a minute, Stephen didn't know that. Stephen had no idea at that time what was eventually going to happen. He probably didn't even know Saul would become Paul and that his message would change the world. Do you realize this is what the Bible teaches all the way from the Old Testament? Go back to Job. Job kept saying to God, if you explain to me why this is happening, from what angle my suffering is coming, then I'll be able to endure it. And God looked at him and said, what? No, you won't. No, you won't. And he says, basically, Job, there's a thousand things that happen in your life every day. Every day that you don't have an exhaustive understanding, you don't know how the sun goes up and down. You've not been to the depths of the ocean. There are places you've not even seen. You don't know the vastness of the constellation. You're just in one little galaxy and there are billions of them. So don't tell me that you can't live with something you don't have an exhaustive understanding of. And Job gets it wow, I'm finite. God is infinite, and there are things I just can't see because I'm not God. And in the end, what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. That's the conclusion. I know that one day everything will be made clear. But right now, I don't know. I go back to my favorite illustration that I use at least 10 times a year. After the climax of the Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers his friend Gandalf is not dead, and he says to his friend, does that mean everything one day is going to become untrue? How does everything become untrue? And the answer for the Christian is yes, that's exactly what it means. But all those times in your life that appeared to be senseless, all those struggles in your life from which no good seemed to be able to come, all the disasters that seemed to be such a waste, all of those moments in sadness which appeared in your mind to require some explanation, the day will come when everything will be turned right side up again and you will see how God connected all the dots and suddenly you will see the wisdom of God in every aspect and event of your life. But to think that you could do that now is ridiculous. We're just not that smart. Yes, he will refine you. Yes, he will burn off what's binding you. Yes, he will strengthen you and prepare you for ministry. Yes, he will save your life from greater disasters. But you simply do not know which one's happening at what time. Let's be honest. And for me to come and look you in your eyes and say, Don't worry, God's going to heal you, is a lie. Because I don't know if God's going to heal you or not. Because I'm not God. Now, I will pray for you. And I will say, God, bring healing. And sometimes God does. It's a beautiful thing. But I've also prayed for people who died. In fact, my track record's not very good. So if you're in the hospital and near death, you probably want Pastor Phil come pray for you. Some men have the gift of faith. And I think he is one of them. It's not that I'm any less than Pastor Phil. It's just I'm telling you. He may know things I don't, but I'm not going to lie to you to make you feel good so that you might come to our church. I want to tell you the truth about this. Now, I've got a friend, Brett Mullen, who's a very close friend of mine. He got me tickets to the U.S. Open <laughs> at Pebble. So I got to hang out with the players in the tent and everything. They were special passes, it was great. He's in Chattanooga right now, went to see his doctor. He can't walk anymore. The Parkinson's is caught up. Man, so sad. And I do question God. But sometimes I wonder if God would say, Jeff, I would give you an explanation of all this, but your puny little mind wouldn't get it anyway, so I'm not going to waste my time. (laughs) But that doesn't mean there's not another dynamic happening. There is a dynamic taking place. It is a beautiful dynamic, almost too wonderful to imagine. Because the Bible says in Acts 7, Stephen looks up as he's dying and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Standing? No, that's not what the Bible says all the other places. It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, why is he seated? He's done. You sit down when your work is completed, right? Went to the cross, died for us. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So every time we hear about Jesus being in the throne, with by the way, remember what the throne room is. It's the court. So God dwells in his court. He's the sovereign judge of all things. So he's in his court and Jesus is seated by his right hand because he's completed his work. That is a symbol to show you to stop working so thinking hard. Your salvation is secure in what Christ has done for you. He's seated. He's rested. So should you. Rest. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't try to live a holy life, but you do it for different reasons. Not trying to work so hard to get salvation, but you do it because you're so grateful for what he already did on your behalf. Dane Johnson, he and I had breakfast this past week. Haven't had breakfast in a while. He told me a story about his son, Matt. Matt was a freshman at West Covina High School. He said, the best way to describe Matt when he entered high school was the Pillsbury Doughboy. (laughs) Rosy cheeks, lots of flab, big white marshmallow. He had just started wrestling in middle school and believed that that was the road he wanted to take, but now he's in high school, he's a freshman, so I went down to the gym to watch the fresh, soft matches where he's expected to see Matt, his son, wrestle. He arrives at the high school, goes down to see these matches. When he arrived, his son Matt runs up to him. They have a conversation. He says, Dad, I am wrestling varsity tonight. Freshman. He said, Our 215 weight division participant is sick. Coach asked me to wrestle in his place. Dane said, I looked at the guy. Matt doesn't weigh no 200 pounds. He's underweight and understrong. This is a 14-year-old versus a 17-year-old. Not just any 17-year-old, the defending varsity league champion. Talk about a mismatch. This is a senior versus a freshman. This is a kid just entering into puberty versus a kid with chest hair coming out of his singlet. This is a boy versus a man. Dane takes one look at this big kid and begins to pray, God, I pray that Matt comes out of this physically and mentally intact. Lord, don't let him get injured. Don't let him lose his confidence and want to quit wrestling. Lord, I pray for a miracle. And Dane said, then I just went up to the top of the stage. I just sat up as far away from the mat as I could, way up at the top. And he said, I thought I was going to handle myself well, but pride got the best of me. And all of a sudden, I started yelling down as loud as I could. And if you know how Dane can yell, man, you can hear him in another zip code. <laughs> he stood up and he said, go, freshman. Come on, you can do it. Come on, freshman! Go, freshman! Hold your ground! Hold your position! He said, I kept saying freshman over and over because I want everybody to know this was a freshman against a senior. <laughs> As if everybody at the wrestling match couldn't tell already. <laughs> Dane says, that senior beat up on my boy for three periods. He opened up a can of hurt from cross face to arm barn to chicken wing, everything but a pen, but that was surely coming. Ultimate insult after blatant injury. Now before the match, Matt had told his father, coach told me that my goal is just not to get pinned. Because if I get pinned, the other team gets six points. But if I can avoid getting pinned by this guy, then he'll only get three points and our team will still have a chance to win the overall match. Coach also said, Matt, just run away, stay away from him. (laughs) And Matt, if you can wrestle for us and not get pinned, I'm going to give you a varsity ladder. Now, you know what that means to a freshman. (laughs) Two and a half periods, Dane said, Matt was just on his tummy, so he couldn't turn him over and pin him. So he just sat there, just getting hammered, just (laughs) twisted and torn. But he said, halfway through the match, Matt had actually scored five points because this bully would let Matt up. And every time you get up after being down, you get a point. Matt... This bully would let Matt up just so he could take him down again and get more points. So halfway through the match, it's nine to five. Matt's behind, but he's got five points, the other guy has nine. And this is the last match of the evening. So this championship wrestler knows that he has to pin this pesky little freshman to the mat in order to win the entire match for his team. Dane said, the funny thing is, it is difficult to turn over a turtle. Matt was so roundish and flabby that when the championship wrestler tried to turn him over, he just kept rolling. (laughs) But finally, age and strength took over and Matt found himself turned over, belly up on the mat, very close to having both shoulders touch the ground. But suddenly, Dane said, and Dane's an accomplished athlete himself, I'm standing at the top and I look down and I notice something. I stand up and I start saying, don't give up, nothing for free, hang in there, you can do it, never say die, and as soon as he said that, his son arched his back, refused to let those shoulders get down, but he's running out of courage, running out of strength, he's fatigued, and Dang gets on his feet again and says, fight, 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 you can do it, and Dang said, suddenly I noticed something again, that the championship wrestler is trying to pull away from Matt. In an attempt to pin Matt, he had gotten too much of his own weight over to one side and now was dangerous of being flipped over on his back himself. Dane saw this. He got all excited and he ran from the top all the way down, (laughs) sprinted down the aisle onto the mat right beside the scores table. So he's down looking at Matt on the mat and he's saying, stick him, stick him, stick him. And Matt, using his opponent's weight that's headed in the wrong direction, manages to swing him over and down onto the mat. He actually pins the champion for a moment, but the referee was out of position and didn't see it. But then suddenly the bell goes off, the match is over, and the referee looks at Matt and gives him two points for the reversal and three points for an almost pin. Matt wins the match 10 to nine. (laughs) The champion is defeated, (laughs) defeated. Dane said, I laid there on that mat exhausted (laughs) as if I had wrestled myself. All the people in the stands rushed down to the mat and formed this sort of mosh pit to celebrate the victory. And then someone shouted, whose kid is that? And You know, Dane, that's my boy, that's my son, that's my kid. And when Matt hears that, his head pops up over the marsh pit. He sees his father. They run through the crowd and embrace, go into a bear hug and just lay on the mat, exhausted. <laughs> Dane said to me, you know, perhaps that event more than anything said something to me. Number one, your heavenly father is pulling for you and knows you're in over your head. He knows you're limited in your understanding of what you've got to deal with. He knows that you're outmatched by circumstances. He knows that you have a powerful opponent who's a champion, who wants to pin you to the mat and have you surrender. But you see, while we're asking the question, what good is God? Heaven is asking the question, what good are you? Are you willing? Now that Christ has given his life for you and secured your eternity, are you willing to fight even when you don't understand, to keep going and to keep your faith so that those who are far from God might come near? He said, I also learned that while you're in this battle, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, giving you a prevailing presence, cheering you on. And all of heaven is standing and they're exclaiming, don't give up, hang in there, you can do it stick him, pin this, fight, 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 persevere, endure, the victory is yours. And the whole time, do you know what Jesus is doing while you're in the battle? He's confessing your name before the Father. F.F. Bruce, when he read this passage of Acts 7, said, While Stephen was confessing Christ before men, Stephen saw Jesus confessing Stephen before God. You may not see why these things are happening. No pastor can tell you at what angle this is coming from. But you have an infinite father who's in your corner and he's pulling for you. He's watching you. He wants you to endure and persevere and trust that just because you can't see everything doesn't mean that he's not in total control of everything. In fact, you want advanced Christianity? Your response during the worst times of your life prove your worth and authenticity it proves who you really are what good are you God God could say to you well what good are you you have a new master and he owns you you've been bought with a price and the way you're handling these wrestling matches of your life it will reveal who you truly are and the way you even die Will bring those far from God near. You say, Pastor Jeff, that doesn't appear to be very just to me. Well, wait a minute. But if God is really the giver of all life, and if death is just the doorway into the life you've always wanted, then God can require your life of you here so that others who are far from God can come near into eternity. And you know what? No matter how much noise and confusion is going on around you, no matter what enemy is trying to pin you down, you will always hear the voice of dad. That's the power of the spirit in you saying, fight the good fight, keep the faith, for I hold the keys of life and death. And I believe when we win those matches, because we do, when we will rise out of those pain and sufferings victoriously, I believe Jesus. That's my boy. That's my son. That's my kid. you know what I see in heaven? I see a parade one day. I see a parade, and Jesus up there saying, man, look at all those medals. Now, it's not about earning the approval of God, but the Bible does say to us, he who perseveres and endures, I'm in James 1, receives the crown of life. And by the way, the Greek word for crown is stephanos. Oh, I wonder where that came from, the stephanos crown. <laughs> so that there's a parade where we're walking. And I think Jesus is, look at him. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my son. That's my daughter. For when times got tough, they persevered. Can I ask you a simple question? When things get tough in your life, and they do in all our lives, you, again, you don't know my life. We all are carrying some kind of burden. Listen, you're not alone in that. Every, don't think you're alone. Everybody is carrying some kind of burden. Everybody. Some of them are life-threatening. Others are just emotionally threatening, psychologically threatening, something that you can't let go of. Everybody's got a burden to bear. Can I ask you the ultimate question that Scripture asks you? Will you lift up the name of Jesus even when you're in your lowest valleys? Will you bless the name of Jesus for all your days as he stands and blesses your name before the Father? Will you sing for joy when your heart is heavy? as Jesus shouts for joy at your faithfulness to him when you cannot see? Will you glorify him in the storm as he endured the storm? Will you praise the name of Jesus as he speaks your name to the Father? If you can say yes to those things, guess what you've just proven? You're the real deal. You truly do live for the world and the kingdom that is yet to come. And you will pray for healing because you believe in a Savior who heals. But if the decision is no, you will praise him all the more. And that's how you know who you are. Father, I thank you and praise you for the story of Acts 7, those little details that remind us who you are and who we are. To know that in our difficult times, Jesus is standing, standing. He's not seated, he rises out of a chair, professing and confessing our name to the Father. That's my boy. That's my son. That's my daughter. Watch them go. And even though they have not seen or are confused, (laughs) they trust me that I will bring everything together. And one day all of this will become untrue. Give us courage as we live for something bigger than ourselves in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you make me